0: You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to take that Bible and open with me to, anybody got any guesses? First Peter, right? We've been here for the last three weeks. We're going to be here again today. Open up to the First Peter chapter 2. That's what we're going to be uh, looking at today. While you're doing that, I want to just take just a second, and I want to uh, give a plug for some a ministry that Jeremy mentioned earlier that's about to start. Next Sunday night, we're going to start DOXA and 212 student ministries, all right? So that's six through 12th grade student ministries. We're going to start Sunday night. Normally, the time is going to be from 630 to 830, but next week, we're going to do it from seven to, uh, from 7 to 830, so remember that. Next week, we're going to be from 7 to 8.30. Normally, it'll go from 6.30 to 8.30. So if you have a 6th through 12th grader, I, I just want to ask you to, uh, to really start pumping that into them. They need to come to, uh, to Doxon 212. I think we're going to have a, a good group of students to start with, and I can promise you they're going to have a fun time. They're going to in, enjoy themselves, but more importantly than anything, they're going to come, and they're actually going to be fed the Word of God uh, as middle schoolers and as high schoolers on their level. and, and just We're going to equip them to go into their school in their school in their context and make disciples just like we do on uh, on Sunday morning for everybody else. So I just want to take just a second. Uh, at- We've been really spent a lot of time in prayer. I know I have personally about Docs and 212. So I, I just want to ask you if you're if you're interested in helping serve with that anyway in your heart and soul, please come talk to me. If you're not heart and soul and you want to help, come talk to me. That way I can get you plugged into heart and soul and get you on the, on that path of uh, of serving with Docs and 212. So I just really want to ask you, if nothing else, please tell your students about it if you have students, and please be praying for us as we start that ministry. It's going to start next Sunday night at seven o'clock. All right and then after that, the following Sunday is going to be July third. Instead of having a normal docks and two twelve night, we're going to have uh, Sandlot Sunday. We're going to cook out. We're going to have a great time, and we're going uh, we're going to play some uh, have a woofle ball tournament. So it's going to be pretty serious. Maybe no broken arms or anything like that. So uh, just t- please be sure to uh, mention that to your students. So if you, as you turn to First Peter, I want to uh, kind of refocus this. Let's focus on uh, what we have. Uh, in front of us today. So, we've been talking about the functions and the purposes of the church uh, over the past few weeks. Why does the church exist? What is the church? And what's our purpose in the church, right? These are things that we've all been talking about over the past couple weeks. And today, we're going to focus on something really specific. Today, we're going to focus on the ultimate purpose of the church and the ultimate purpose of our lives within the church, all right? Today, we're going to be talking about worship. So, the church exists. For more than anything else, more than any other reason, the church exists to worship the one true living God. That's the purpose of the church, okay? And today, I, what I want to help you, under, help you see is not only does the church exist for that reason, but you exist for that re- reason, to worship the one true God. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And my goal, as I've been praying about this, my goal today is I want you to see this. The most significant thing that you can do with your life, if you really want to live a life that counts, if you really want to make your life last for something, the most significant thing you can do is worship God. You can live every day to worship God. Hey, has anybody ever flown? Anybody here ever flown? So we got a few, right? So I, I've flown a couple of times. I think I, I've flown to the Bahamas one time when we went on a mission trip. I know what you're thinking, a mission trip to the Bahamas, right? Yeah, it was great. Uh, but we flew, I flew to the Bahamas one time and I flew to Houston. And this last time when I flew to Houston... I had the, uh, the window seat uh, when I flew to the Bahamas. Some old woman stole it from me, but that's another, another uh, story for another time. When I flew to Houston, I had the window seat, and I lifted up this seat, and I looked out over, and, guys, like I couldn't even see the ground. So in that moment, two thoughts come through your mind. Like I know it might not be my time, but I hope it's not the pilot's time, right? So that, that was the first thought. The second thought was how small are we? Like just how small, like I was in a floating vessel like 30,000 feet up in the air and the thought that comes to my mind is like, I'm just really small. And guys, I, what I want you to see is that we are so small today that the only way we can matter is if we attach ourselves to something that's infinitely big, all right? It's kind of like this. Imagine that you're a, a backup in a movie, right? And this is a blockbuster movie. One, this is Titanic. This is, uh, this is, you know, Die Hard. This is an awesome movie, right? All right? But you don't have a real role in it. You're just, uh, you're just one of those people that's in the background, right? Nobody's going to remember you unless you accidentally bump into Bruce Willis, unless you accidentally bump into Leonardo DiCaprio, Right? Nobody else is ever going to notice you're there in that movie unless you attach yourself to the main star, unless then somehow you interfere. And what I want you to see today is that your life, if, if this whole eternity, this all, all of history played out and was a movie, and it was a two-hour movie, you would be in it for approximately half a second. And the only way you can matter is if you ta- attach yourself to something bigger, if you attach yourself to the main star of this movie, and the main star is God. So I want you to see that today. I, 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 I've I got to be honest. I have a heavy heart as I preach this morning. Like I, I, a heart that's as heavy as it's ever been when I've preached a message. And I, I've just, you can ask Jeremy, all week long I was in the office and I said, I don't know how I'm gonna preach this message. I don't know what, I think I'm saying what God wants me to say, but I just can't get the, I can't get the right words. And I just sought God on this. I just said, God, why, why, what do you want me to say? What's wrong? What am I not hearing? And as I sought God, he revealed two things to me, two reasons that I come before you heavy hearted today. The first reason is this. He convicted me about how little I actually worship him with my life. So as I'm preparing this message, it's like God just just released an avalanche of conviction on me saying, because I live my life day to day as if it's about me. All right, uh, What do I have to do next? What do I need to do next? What can I take care of next? What's po- most important for me? Right? That's how I live my life. And God just released an avalanche of conviction on my life and was like, your life is about me, Dallas, not about you. So he just, I mean, he's just been tearing my heart up because I need to be living my life every second, every day to worship him. And not only that, the second reason I have a heavy heart is I feel a huge burden and responsibility as I'm preaching this message this morning because I realize that most of you in front of me don't worship God like you should. And it's not even because you don't want to worship God like you should the reason most of you don't worship God like you should is because you don't really know who God is. Like you see God and he's your buddy and he's your friend and you think when you die, he's going to be a fishing buddy and you're going to get to cast a reel. Like I'm just convicted this morning because like most of you don't even know who God is and the reason that is is not because you don't want to know but because you've never let this inform your picture of who God is. So what I want to do, I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, These verses are going to be on the screen, but I'm going to turn my Bible to Revelation 4. I don't want you to turn with me. I'm going to read a description of who God is. And before we even go forward today, what I want to do is I want us to just have our picture of God just blown up. I want us to see God as he really is in this Bible. And when we start talking about worshiping God, this is the God I want us to talk about, okay? So just listen to this and picture this in your mind, all right? Revelation 4, starting in verse 2. This is what the Bible says. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, God. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the throne were 24 elders. All right, so let's put this in our mind. There's one throne, and we don't really know what this guy on the throne looks like, but he's big, really big, and he looks like diamonds, basically. And above this throne is a rainbow, and the rainbow is so clear that it looks like it's sparkling emeralds. And around the throne are 24 smaller thrones. And on these thrones, there are 24 older men sitting there looking at the one on the throne. All right, so get that picture in your head. Around the throne, verse 4, were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones are 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. So the throne is literally lightning. Any of you got a recliner at home that has lightning bolts coming out of it? And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before him and say, Worthy are you, Lord our God, to give to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. What I want us to see before we start out today is that God is so big that he merits a description that we can't even fathom, and there are creatures who sit before him for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and these creatures never feel like they're cheated anything. They want to be doing this. They don't get bored. They look at God all day long, every day, and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You live forever, and you are worth all honor and praise because you created all the things, and by your will, things exist. What I want us to see before we even start today is that God is bigger than you can possibly imagine, and he deserves all of your worship that you can fathomably give all of it. So before we start, I want to pray, and I just want us to pray, and I want to ask God to just open our eyes to how big he really is. Let's just let our hearts be destroyed by God this morning, all right? So let's pray. God, I just pray right now that you would hide me behind your cross, God. I am nothing, God. I just, uh, I cease to exist right now. But Lord, dear God, as, as I keep talking, you you just put your words through me, God. And I just pray, Lord, that people would see you for as, as big as you really are, God. You're so much bigger than we can imagine. You're so much more holy than we can imagine. You're so much more powerful than we can imagine, God. You are, are all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, God. I just pray this morning, that our hearts would be awakened to how big you are, God. Please, please, God, I pray that you would give us a vision of yourself this morning. Please, Jesus, let us know who you really are. And God, I just pray, Lord, as I've just been dwelling on this this morning, I just, I just pray, God, there are somebody in this room, God, I know it, that, dear Lord, there are multiple people in this room who they're dead in their sin, Father God, and they're going to have to suffer the penalty of their sin, which is death and hell. But, God, you've made a way for them not to have to suffer it. God, you've made a way through Jesus that we can have eternal life and we can worship you as we should. And we don't have to feel condemned, but we can worship you with joy. God, I just pray, Lord, with all my heart this morning, God, I pray that somebody would be awakened to that reality today. God, please let them, please save somebody, dear God. Please don't let them die and go to hell, God. That's my plea with you this morning. Please save. And God, I just pray that even as we pray before we start, I pray that you would start that process right now, dear God. Please call dead people to life, and please, dear Lord, if we're saved in here, please help us have a bigger picture of who you are. Christ, now I pray. Amen. All right, so we're talking about worship, and we're talking about a big God, all right? We've established that. So we're going to go back to 1 Peter real quick, and I'm going to read two verses, right? And we're going to start. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and then we're going to jump to 9. So uh, three verses, I lied. Uh, chapter 2. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. All right, so let's catch that line. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, there's that word again, priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. All right, so I got four things I want you to see this morning. I'm not going to tell you what they are ahead of time like I usually do. You're going to have to stay on on your heels, note riders. Here's the first thing I want you to see out of this text. The very first thing I want you to get out of this sermon today is this. The ultimate purpose of your salvation is to worship God. So if you're a note taker, the ultimate reason God saved you is so that you can worship God. That's what I want you to get. That's the first purpose. The ultimate purpose of your salvation is to worship God. So where do I get this in the Bible? Let's look at uh, chapter two, verse five. It says this. You yourselves... Like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, all right? So, uh, so what Peter is saying there is that God is calling us not just to be a spiritual house where God's spirit dwells, but he's calling us to be a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, all right? So really what Peter's trying to help us see there is that God intends for us to be more than people who come and see it. He intends for us to actually be priests, All right? So that's an old word, priest. So God is calling us to be priests. So what is a priest? What is a priest's job? All right? I'm willing to bet that a lot lot of you, like me, you favor, you tend to favor reading the New Testament, right? Kind of leave the Old Testament for all them other people, right? Somebody else will read the Old Testament and explain it to me, all right? So let's do a little Old Testament refresher right here. Uh, What was a priest? So God's calling us to be priests. We need to know what a priest is. Right? A priest is this. A priest is somebody who in the Old Testament was in charge of the worship of God. All right? Because, so in the Old Testament, this is the way it worked. Before Christ came, not everybody could go into the house of God and worship in his presence. All right? So there was a reason why. Does anybody know the reason why? Sin. Yep, that's always the right answer. In case you didn't know, in church there's two answers: Jesus and sin. You got a 50/50 shot. All right. So the the right answer is sin. So in in the Old Testament, the in the temple, not everyone could go into the into the presence of God because people were so sinful that if they went into God's presence, God would literally strike them dead. Right? There's accounts of this all happening all over the Old Testament. You, you're sinful. You can't come into the presence of a holy God because God cannot dwell with sin. Right? So there had to be one man, all right? There was one man who was a priest. And what this priest would do was he would wash himself, and he would clean himself well and put on good clothes, and then he would go into the presence, for all, for the presence of God for all the people, and he would offer a sacrifice for everybody else, okay? So get the implication of that. If you lived in this time, you could not worship God. Picture this. Picture not being able to come into this house today and ask God for forgiveness. Or, Or lift up your hand in praise. Or say, God, I love you. Or go to God and ask him to help you with something like you are literally restricted from certain aspects of worship. Somebody had to do it for you. All right? So that's what happens in the Old Testament. But now Peter's saying something different. Peter's saying no longer is there one priest, but Peter's saying we are all priests. So everybody out here, I bet that's a title you didn't know you had, priest, right? Priest Lindsey, Priest Wilson, right? You you can sound important and dignified even, priest, right? So we're all priest. So something very different happened. Because Christ paid for the sins of all the church, we can all come into his presence. So get this, not only now, not only can you come into God's presence and worship, but you are expected to come into God's presence and worship. So every person who is a Christian who's been saved is now expected to worship God, all right? So let me break, let me break a mentality for you. Worship is not the job of a preacher. So that, that's what we think, right? Well, worship, that's what them preachers do. I see Jerry Milt there raising his hand right? Worship is, we pay people to worship, right? That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here now is that every single one of us has a responsibility to worship God. If you've been saved, you are now responsible and expected to worship God. It's it's what you're expected to do, all right? And we're going to talk in a minute about how that plays out. But more importantly, what I want you to see is not only are you expected to worship God, but this is the reason God saved you, all right? worship is why God saved you. Look at 2.5. Uh, it says it says you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. The word to there implies purpose. This is why God is building you into a spiritual house so that you could be a priest. So get this. God's main purpose in saving you is so that you could be a worshiper of him. All right? So we gotta, this means we got to break some mentalities because we all like to think well, what? God's main reason for saving me was because God loved me. Is that not what we've been told? Like, God loved me so much that he came to this earth and died on the cross from me. And while that's true, that is not the main reason God saved you. All right, Or it's like this. God, Jesus came and died on the cross so that I could live forever with him in heaven. We th- That is a reason God saved you. What I want to help you see this morning is that is not the reason God saved you. God saved you first and foremost so that you could proclaim his glory. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. It says this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into life. What is he saying? He's saying that your main reason for being saved is not because God loves you. Your main reason for being saved is so that you can take what's left of your life and use it to worship God. That's That's your main purpose for being saved. So let let me make this clear. You can waste your salvation. If you're not using your salvation and everything you do to worship God, you're wasting it. But the thing is, we kind of live in a a society that's hostile to this thought, right? Right? Because the reality is most of you and myself grew up being taught that Jesus saved us mainly because he loves us, right? And the reason that is is because we live in a me-first society, right? The, what, we live in a society that thinks it's all about us. And how do we really picture God? We picture God as a cheerleader up there. God's a cheerleader. He's up there looking down. You can do it. He wants us, What he really wants for us is for us to be the best of us possible. He's saying, you, you, you can do it. Be yourself. I made you this way. You take care of it. And you want me to tell you what that turns into? It turns into, oh, you feel gay? God made you that way. It turns into, I, I feel like this is right. I feel like this sin is right. So, oh, God made you that way. You do it. All right? Check this out. God is not a cheerleader up there trying to make you more awesome. That's a societal picture of God. That's what society tells us about God. What does the Bible tell us about God? It looks like that picture we just read. The Bible tells us that God, I hate this. The Bible tells us, about, that, tells us that God is the creator of the earth. He created everything. Why? For his glory. The Bible tells us that God is the sustainer of life, that at this very moment, if your brain is being held together and you have air in your lungs, there's a reason that that's possible. It's because God is sustaining you right now, all right? The Bible tells us that God is the former of life in the womb. I got a, I got a baby girl who's going to be here any week now, all right? The Bible tells me God is the one knitting her together. The Bible tells us that God puts the stars in the sky and knows them by name. The Bible tells us that God divides nations and makes nations rise and makes nations fall. I'm not worried about the 2016 election. God already knows when America's going to fall. The Bible tells us that he did all these things for one reason, for his glory. All right. This is all over the Bible. Russ, we're going to go through some verses right here. All right. I want you to look at these verses because the chances are this sounds strange to you because you've never heard that God did all these things for his glory, for us to worship him. Let's look at Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created. Why? For my glory, whom I formed and made. Why did God make people? For his glory. How about Isaiah 43, 20 through 21? The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. That's, that's so funny to me. Like God looks down to ostriches and says, Yeah, they're, they're mine too, right? Even ostriches get love in the Bible. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to drink to my chosen people, the people who formed for myself, whom, the people who formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. That's the reason he formed them. How about Isaiah 48, 9 through 11? For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. So God, guess what God is saying there? He should destroy all of us for our sin, but he says, for my name's sake, I don't do it. Because, because of my glory, I don't destroy you. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction, for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. Why is God doing this? For His glory. Revelation four eleven. Worthy are you, Lord, our Lord. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created for his glory. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, which is to the praise of his glorious grace. How about Ephesians 2, 5 through 7? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're going to be like trophies of God's grace. He's going to point out people like Dallas Wilson and say, Dallas Wilson was a horrible sinner, but I saved him. That's what my grace can do. I'm going to be sitting on God's shelf saying, I give glory to God. But this sounds strange to us, all right? I know it does because we think, man, we like to think we're the king of our own domain. We like to think we're most important. But, guys, what I want to help you see today is that you're really small and God's most important. But here's the thing. If this sounds uncomfortable for you and you like the idea of God saving you because he loved you, let me ask you this. What can God give you to prove that he loves you? What can God possibly give you? The highest thing that God has to give is himself. That's why we get married, right? If I I wanted to prove my love to Jenna, what did I give her besides a diamond ring? Myself. I gave her what I am. And so what I'm trying to help you see is that God does love you. That's why he points your attention away from yourself and toward God. Worship is the most loving thing God can give you. Because it helps you realize what's really going to satisfy. And it's not you. It's not accomplishing your dreams. It's not finding Mr. Right. It's not all of these things. It's finding God. So let me tell you this. If you like hearing that God saved you because he loved you more than you like hearing that God saved you to worship him, you love yourself more than God. I want you to realize that if you like hearing that God saved you because he loved you more than you like hearing God saved you because he, because he wants you to worship him, you love yourself more than you love God. God saved you for his glory. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want you to get is this. Gets a little easier now, all right? This is it gets more convicting now, but easier to pre- easier to follow. So uh so let's go to 1 Peter 2.5 again. Worship is when uh, here's what worship is. Worship is when we gladly glorify God. So 1 Peter 2.5, it says, You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. That's the worship part, all right? So a priest was in charge of worship and the way that he worshipped was he went into the temple and he made sacrifices to God, all right? So worship is when we gladly glorify God. But how do sacrifices glorify God? I want you to see this because this is really important. A spiritual sacrifice, all right? So we're not offering animals. We're offering spiritual sacrifices. We're offering of ourselves. A spiritual sacrifice is something that when you give it to God, it says God I love you more than anything else. So think about it in the Old Testament. A sacrifice was when they took the best animal all right, of the flock. They took this best animal, and it was worth the most money. It was, the, it was their prized possession, and they took it, and they laid it before God, and they said, what was that sacrifice saying? God, I love you more than I love whatever this animal can buy me, namely security, a nice home, peace, prosperity. I love you, God, more than I love any of those things. That's what a sacrifice says, all right? So the question that gets in is this. How do we make spiritual sacrifices today, right? Because we're not doing cows, We're not, you know, taking some bread and putting it on the altar and lighting it on fire. How do we do spiritual sacrifices? Well, there are two ways, all right? The first way is a Sunday morning service, all right? So you guys are all here today. You're doing great, right? You're halfway home. A Sunday morning service is, is part of the way we give glory to God. Think about what a Sunday morning service says, okay? Think about what it says that you came to church this morning, all right? It says, number one, that God is worth more to you than sleep is, all right? I guarantee you, you've got some friends who still are still asleep at this moment, all right? So when you come to Sunday morning worship, it's saying that God is worth more to you than sleep. It's also saying that it's more, he's, more worth, he's worth more to you than anything else you could be doing today. How many of you got stuff you could get done today? That was a question. You can raise your hand. All right. All of you have got stuff you could be doing today, right? But when you come to church, what it says is, God, you are worth more to me than anything else I could be getting done. It also shows the outside world what's most important to you. So when you woke up and said, I'm coming to church this morning, what you really told the outside world was knowing God's more important than anything else to me right now today. So worship services are important, guys. But here's the thing. As as we talk about how important worship services are, I'm horrified, like literally scared to death at the amount of apathy I see in worship services. Because the reality is this. Most people show up late to them. Y'all got quiet on that. Y'all was just like, I ain't even tuning in on that. No, most people show up late, right? And the thing we say when we show up late is at least I just missed the worship and didn't miss the preaching. Like, that's not important? Like, lifting up your voice and saying, God, you're good, you're great, you're mighty, the breath in my lungs is yours, like, that's not important? Or, worse than that, we come and we're on time, but we refuse to embrace it. Some of y'all want to lift up y'all's hands so bad, but y'all just like, oh, this man inside me, he might look at me funny now. Who cares? How can you possibly care what somebody else thinks when you're worshiping the God of the universe? I can't sing. I don't care what any of y'all think. Even worse than that is when you asleep. Last week, last two weeks ago, last time I preached, I swear to you, I saw drool coming off someone person's mouth. I ain't calling no names. Or even worse, we can be apathetic in how we come, right? So we come as long as there's not a ball tournament. Ooh, <laughs> I heard some grimaces on that, right? We come as long as there's not a ball tournament. We come as long as there's nothing else to do. We come as long as we're not on vacation. Guys, listen. If you're not going to come to church on vacation here, go to church somewhere. How? How? can we be apathetic in worship? How? I I read this quote, and it just broke my heart. I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. If you come to church and you are bored and zoned out and it's it's not a priority, I hate to break it to you, if you go in heaven, you ain't gonna enjoy it. So that's one way. Worship services is one way. We also worship and glorify God by the way we live our lives. All right? So Romans 12, uh, Romans 12, 1 says this. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So God said, So Paul takes it a step further. Not only is what you do for an hour once a week worship, what you do the rest of the time is worship as well. All right, let me ask you something, or let me tell you something. You, or, I'll ask you. Uh, do you think God is interested in one hour out of your 168-hour week? Do you think God's pleased by that? Well, they gave me my one hour. I'm, I, I'm glad. That's all I needed was that one hour. No, God is worthy of much more than that. Worship is not only what you do at church. It should be everything you do every single day for the rest of your life. It's the way you live for the glory of God. So check this out. Everything you do is worship. How do you treat others? It's worship. How do you talk to your spouse? How do you talk to your kids? How do you talk to your coworkers? That's worship. How do you work? When you're at work, Do you give all your effort or do you just kind of slack off? Because I got news for you. You're not working for your boss. You're working for God. Are you lazy? Do you spend most of your time watching TV? Do you not get up in the mornings? Do you go to bed real late at night and you just can't figure out why you can't get up in the mornings? How do you spend your money? Mm. That checkbook is how you worship God. How do you raise your kids? How do you eat steak? How do you drink sweet tea? That's worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. So whether you eat a steak or whether you drink sweet tea, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The Bible says down to eating and drinking is about worship. Down to how you eat and how you drink. So think about this. I had a steak last night. How do you eat a steak to the glory of God? I did it last night. I grilled it. It was fantastic. It had perfect chal marks. It was red, all right? And I put that steak in my mouth, all right? And then I ate it. And you know what thoughts came through my mind? God, you are so good that you invented the cow. God could have made the act of eating in such a way to where you just needed a food tube and you just had a little thing that come out your body and you just put a little uh, block of fuel in there and it went back in and you had what you need, right? God didn't do it that way. how did he do it? He made a cow and said, cut this piece of meat and it's great. You can worship when you eat. You can worship when you drink. You can worship when you work. And here's what I really want to make clear this morning. It's impossible to be saved and not worship. If you are really saved, you are gonna worship. Here, here's how I know. So, worship is this: worship is when we lay down our whole lives and say, God, it's all yours. It's not mine anymore. I don't want it. I wanna do whatever's gonna glorify you the most. That's worship, all right? So, what is salvation? Salvation, according to Jesus, is when men deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. You all know what salvation is? It's when we look at God and say, God, whatever you want, not what I want. This life is yours. Here's what I want you to see is that worship and salvation are the same thing. That it's impossible to be saved and not worship God. If you have never taken your life and said, God, it's all yours. It's all, I, whatever you want from me is what I'll do. Then guess what? You're not saved and you don't worship. Because that's really worship. I, I kind of thought of it like this. I got here a check, and it's a blank check. That blank check is worth all I am, which ain't much. But Jenna's name's on it, so it's worth a little bit more than what I'm worth, right? So here's the deal with this blank check. Worship is when I take this blank check. Let's say this blank check, is, is, it symbolizes all I have, right? This blank check, God, anything I am is yours. It's when I lay this check down, God, whatever I am is yours. Take it. I'm not going to fill it out. Why? Because it's not mine to fill out, God. Whatever you want from me, you fill it out. You could have to pay everything, or you might pay a cent. But the worship actually comes in when you say, God is yours. I'm going to step back and you write it. But guess what? Salvation doesn't happen either until we take that check and say, God is yours salvation and worship are the same thing. So what I got a question, the question I have for you guys is, listen, this check right here, picture your name on it. Do you worship God? Have you ever been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and it calls such a joy in your heart that you said, God, whatever it takes, whatever you want, it's yours. It's not mine anymore. You write the check. That's what salvation is. So that's the second point. Third thing I want you to see is this. Worship is centered on God. So for you note takers, that's the third point. Worship is centered on God. Verse 5 says, you, uh, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So worship, well, what I want you to see is that it's focused on God, all right? So when you come in this building on Sunday mornings or when you live your life, what you have to see about worship is it's not about you at all. Worship is about God. So this is the reason we all come to church and we say stuff like this. I just got to be fed, bro. I just come, I, I really need to go to church this morning so I can be fed. All right? But what I want you to see is that misses the reason why church was even existed. Because church is not about you being fed. Church is about you feasting on God. It's not about you coming in here and looking to this preacher and saying, all right, you feed me today. It's about you coming in here and saying, "Good God, you're great. You're good. And guess what happens then? You're actually feasting on God. So you guess what? This is the irony, isn't it? When you come to church focused on yourself, focused on I need to be fed, you go home hungry. That's right. When you come to church focused on God, you go home full. All right, and I know this is kind of backwards to you. This is this goes against the way we hear it, right? We all because we all think that when we've had a hard week, I just got to go be fed, right? So here's the reason with that. The reason that mentality is like it is, all right, is because people who come to church and say I got to be fed, you miss, you have a messed up view of God, all right. So I'm just I'm just let's change that for a second. If you come to church thinking I got to be fed, it's about me. You picture God like a water trough. Everybody tracking with me? A water trough, horses come to it and drink out of Okay. Water trough. And the way you worship God, the way you worship this water trough, is that Monday through Saturday, you got to come and make sure that water trough's full because stuff's getting taken out of it. So Monday through Saturday, you filling that water trough up. Monday through Saturday, you filling that water trough up. But guess what? By the time you get to Sunday, your bucket's empty. And you think, man, I got to go be fed. I got to have somebody, you know, fill my bucket up so I can worship this water, so I can worship God, keep this water trough full, right? And so what happens is you picture God like a water trough who you got to please, you got to make happy by serving him. All right, I got to be fed. I got to be fed so I can serve God and keep this water trough full. All right, so you think the way you serve God is based solely on the way you act. And if you act good enough, you worship God. All right, but God's not a water trough. All right, You worship a water and trough by keeping it full. God's a mountain mountain spring. Anybody ever seen a mountain spring? It just bubbles up all the time. You don't need to fill it up. You know what you need to do to worship a mountain spring? Sit there and enjoy it. Come to it and say, God, here's my bucket. Here's my bucket. I want want what you have to offer. When you come to church constantly thinking, I got to be fed, you're looking at God the wrong way. Because you come to church to feast on God. And guess what happens? When you come in here and you focus your heart's mind, on, your mind on God, and when you wake up in the morning Monday through Saturday and focus your mind on God and say, God, I want you, I, I'm going to look at you today, I'm going to enjoy you today, I'm going to get in my word and, and, and I'm going to get in your word and I'm going to read it and I'm going to fall in love with you, guess what happens? You start to be full. Not because you're going to get a, a, a bucket and fill up the watering trough, but because you're sitting at the mountain spring drinking it. Worship is focused on God. It's not about you. It's about God. Take your eyes off yourself and focus your eyes on Jesus and you'll leave full every time. So then the last thing in this, that's last point, point number four. Worship is only possible through Christ. Worship is only possible through Christ. All right, so this may be the most important point all day long. So if you don't catch nothing else, listen to this. Worship is only possible through Christ. Let's look at uh, two, 5 one more time. So y'all, y'all gonna memorize this verse for you go home today. It says to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you and I as priests don't get to come up to God directly. You don't get to come up to God directly. You can't go to God and say, God, here's my sacrifice today. That's not the way it works for you. The way it works for you is that the Bible says here you have to worship through Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. The same reason that we worship through Jesus is the same reason in the Old Testament that they had to have priests, all right? So here's the, here's the deal with the priests again. Let's go back to them for just a second. Every year, this priest on what was called the Day of Atonement, he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would do two things. The first, he would take two goats. The first goat, he would pray over And he would put all the sins on this one goat. It's called the scapegoat. That's where we get this from, right? He would put all the sins on this one goat, all right? So my sins, your sins, your sins, they're all on this one goat. And then he would take that goat and he would slit its throat. And that blood came out. Somebody had to die for the sins, all right? You tracking with me? Then he would take the second goat and he would pray over it. And the sinfulness of the people, he would then put on in. Lord, put all this sin, put Dallas's sins, put your sins, put them on this goat. And then they would take that goat and they would send it into the wilderness. And what it, would, what it was symbolizing was this, that there had to be payment for the sin, but that God was going to make a way for that sin to leave and never come back. And so the reason he had to do this, he had to do this year after year. Every year, he'd go in and do it same day. Next year, come back and do it. Same day. Why? Because the people were so sinful. The people were so sinful. Every year, they tried their hardest. They tried not to sin. They tried to be the best man they could. They tried to be the best woman they could. They tried to be the best husband, the best wife, the best boy, the best girl. They tried their hardest, but year after year, they were not good enough. They still sinned. So every year, this priest had to come in. Every year. And guys, guess what? That's not just true of the people in the Old Testament. That's true of me and you right here now today. No matter how hard we try, we are constantly sinning. We can't stop it. It's like we can't turn it off. We sin and we don't even know we sin. We always, you fill in the blank, we always lust. We always cuss. We always lash out. We always have homosexual thoughts. We always have sex outside of marriage. We always commit adultery. We always harbor anger in our heart. We always have lustful pride thoughts in our head. We always, always, always sin. We can't help it. And like we try hard. I'm going to be a good guy today. I'm going to be a good man. Guess what? You try for three weeks, you fall. You try for three minutes, you fall. You can't be good enough. And so God's looking at this situation. He's looking at these people in the Old Testament. He's looking at me and you. And what's he going to do? He can send another priest. He can say, I'll tell you what, I'll send another priest and he'll make another sacrifice. And, but guess what? Next year, we're going to do the same thing. So here's what God did. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. Instead of God sending another priest, he left heaven and became the priest. And instead of God going and getting another offering, he became the offering. And he put himself on the cross and he said, you can't be good enough, but I can. You can't do it, but I can. You can't stop sinning, but I can. And guess what happened? Get this, all right? You remember one goat died, one goat went free? Jesus died on the cross. And then three days later, he went free. Why? Why? Because everything that happened in the Old Testament has been pointing to one man, and his name is Jesus. And if you don't get anything else today, get this. You can try your hardest to worship God. You can try your hardest to be the man or woman you're supposed to be, but you won't be able to do it on your own. That's why you need Jesus. And I've, I've been praying about this this, this morning. This in my notes. It's just something God put on me. Listen, there are some. There's somebody in here. I don't know who it is. I don't know. It might be multiple people. But listen, the penalty of your sin is death, and that's an eternity separated from Christ. That's an eternity in hell. That's an eternity where you burn on a rack like a coal, and the coal never is quenched. How long is eternity? I heard a man, a man put it like this. Imagine the bird that flies from the east coast to the west coast, picks up one grain of sand and flies it back to the east coast and drops it on the beach. How long would it take that bird to empty the west coast? Eternity is just started. That's how long the penalty of your sin is going to be separated from Christ. Guys, what I want you to understand is that Christ paid the penalty. Now we can worship as priest because of what he did. You can eat a steak to the glory of God. You can love your spouse to the glory of God. You can live your life to the glory of God. The question is, have you called upon the sacrifice yet? So listen, as we close, all I'm going to do is ask you one simple question as we close. Do you need to lay your life like the blank check before God today because of what he's doing? And if that's you, you say, I want to call on that sacrifice. All I want to do is ask you to raise your hand. Just be bold. Raise your hand.